Good morning. <laughs> How's everyone doing? Okay. It's an interesting time. Here we are, we're practicing in, in our homes and wherever we might be. We're practicing this, this art of cultivation, of cultivating peace and understanding in ourselves. And, and we're also at war right now. We might not call it that, <laughs> but it sure does look like that. It sure does feel like that. And isn't this the the case as we share this planet together? There's some things are on TV <laughs> and some things aren't. There's We live in a world where it's large and a lot of conditions, a lot of events that are happening. Sometimes it's in our eyes on in, in the media and sometimes it's not. We live in a time right now where where there's more uh, light in some respects that are shining on the fact that we're all interconnected. Uh, it doesn't if if we think and we care to to think and to contemplate, we see that one individual's health and integrity makes a difference in the the global health and integrity and the global health and integrity makes a big difference in our personal health and integrity we happen to be talking about sila <laughs> which is ethics integrity for the next uh, few weeks and probably forever it it is the root of the dharma it's one of the the primary intentions that that help us navigate and understand the world as uh, desmond tutu said uh, we need to take sides and this is speaking in a not a worldly sense but interconnected sense are we on the side of justice <laughs> or are we on the side of injustice and that's actually a dharma contemplation it's a guiding contemplation are we on the side of what's beneficial are we on the side of what's unbeneficial not as, as a divis divisive frame of mind but as a inclusive frame of mind now, we're approaching this from a very traditional, early, and shared understanding of the Buddhist Dharma. But this is, doesn't mean it's owned by Buddhism or anything like that. That's like saying gravity is owned by Newton or something like that. It's, it's not like that. So even though the words are in this context, bring it into your own personal context and in the context of the world. There's a sutta that's called Two Kinds of Thought. And this is from um, the Buddha speaking, um, or at least uh, an attempt to capture that. <clears throat> Before my enlightenment, he says, while I was still an unenlightened person, so someone who was not as awake. Before my enlightenment, while I was still an unenlightened person, it occurred to me, suppose that I divide my thoughts into two categories or two classes. Then I set one side of thoughts of greed, hate, and delusion. <laughs> and I set the other side of thoughts of being diligent, ardent, resolute, of non-greed, non-hatred, and non-delusion. I, I see them arise in me. I see them as this thought of greed, hate, and delusion has arisen in me. And this leads to my own affliction, the affliction of others, and the affliction of both at the same time. 
It obstructs wisdom. It causes difficulty. And it leads us away from awakening. When I consider this, they subside. Whatever thought of greed, hate, and delusion that arises in me, I abandon it. I remove it. I do away with it. Whatever a person frequently thinks or ponders upon, that will become the inclination of their mind. If one frequently thinks and ponders upon thoughts of greed, hate, and delusion, that's where the mind inclines. If one um, thinks and, and contemplates on non-greed, non-hate, non-delusion, uh, that's where their hearts and minds incline. The high intention in, in, this, in our practice, if, if we choose to practice this way with sila, the goals are to look at these qualities of heart and mind and how we're relating to the world and really be able to discern whether or not they're harmful or beneficial. We hear this all the time in all of our, all of our drop-ins. So the three primary intentions of sila is to refrain from harmful thoughts, actions, and deeds. One, to cultivate virtue, non-harm, healthy thoughts, action, and deeds. And three, to benefit all beings. To benefit all beings. And there's another kind of hidden goal in this, is to, to realize personal liberation, freedom, awakening, and to liberate all beings. So there's this combination, and you'll see over and over again in these teachings and these practices, and when you see for yourself, that it's always a combination of reducing harm and bringing benefit, and also become awake and transform ignorance, to become wise, to understand. And these are sometimes you hear the two wings, wisdom and compassion. They're the things that allow us to take flight. Always when we're practicing, these guiding principles should be in the front of our, our consciousness. They say they should be the stream of our mind, of our heart and mind. So they're the substance of our heart and mind. So it's interesting, this tradition says one of the, the leading causes of, of ignorance and, and, and suffering and, and confusion is dogmatic views, following blindly rites and rituals of rights and wrongs and sets of behavior. And it, and it, it, it said that when we do that, it prevents us from seeing things more holistically. It creates a, a, a lens that distorts uh, reality. But on the other hand, in these teachings, there are all these things like precepts, all of the stuff to, to help us out. And they're not, we want to be careful as we start to practice these things that it doesn't fall into um, this divisive mindset, this harmful uh, mindset where we start to judge ourselves and we start to judge others, that we put our own heart and mind in the category of evil or good and others and evil or good based off of these precepts. And we can see in the world through different faiths, political systems, family, right? That one person can have a view that this is right and that is wrong. And it can cascade and create all kinds of pains and sufferings. Has anyone experienced that in life? <laughs> what are wars like? What are these things about? And you combine that with stuff like greed, 
<laughs> aversion, <laughs> hate, and ignorance. That's a messy thing. So when we approach these, these practices of, of sila, which is the practices of living with integrity uh, in compassion and non-harm, we want to be very careful that we're not creating a near enemy of another way to, to bring <laughs> greed, hate, and delusion in the world. It becomes really hard to cultivate ourselves if we don't have a little bit of grace to be able to, to make space for when we see in ourselves um, or in others a little bit of that lack of integrity. If we don't allow ourselves to say, hey, Jesse, that was a harmful thought. If I, if I went too judgmental on, on that harmful thought, I wouldn't be able to make space to be able to correct it, to care about it, to see it holistically, to see the impact that it has on myself and in the world. So it's not, it's seeing the disruption of an integrity and caring about it, but not creating more hate in our mind. So as we start to practice the sila, if you're really practicing these practices, you're going to see all of these ways that we meet our experience and others meet their experience that really um, could use some cultivation. So who is important to practice this art of sila and integrity on. In this tradition, they give a few categories. First, it starts with those that we have a higher tendency of clinging to. And so the first category is family and sangha, family and sangha. And so in our mind stream, in our intentions, in our practice, in this practice of not causing harm and, and causing benefit, first, area of practice is family and sangha. Second area of practice is relatives, friends, and associates. Third area of practice is strangers, the larger world or society, the systems that unite these societies, and the environment. Who's missing? Anyone? <laughs> yeah, I, me, self. Does that mean that the self isn't included in these things? No, because you know we need us to be a part of the family and the sangha and the friends and, and all of that stuff. So we're not separate from. So in this practice, it's suggested that our self is included in all of these things. So when we think of, when we think of the integrity of the family, it's hard to take out. It's hard to approach it with our own uh, preferences, our own ego that gets in the way often from seeing clearly. We want to be able to see that it's all this system. I'm going to read a poem. So some of you uh, might have heard this before. It's a Thich Nhat Hanh poem. And, and so for some people who read Thich Nhat Hanh, sometimes they're struck by the, the honesty of this one. Sometimes when sometimes it's easy just to work with the pleasantness of, of a teacher or certain teachings, but there's also a deeper truth. And, and so here's this poem. It's called, Please Call Me By My True Names. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today, I am still arriving. 
Look deeply every second I am arriving to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing from my nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in the stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and cry, to fear, to hope. The rhythms of my heart is this birth and death of all that is alive. I am a mayfly metamorphosizing into the, on the surface of the water, and I am the bird that swoops down and swallows that mayfly. I am a frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond, and I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child of Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs thin as a bamboo sticks, and I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 20-year-old girl, a refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. I am also the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the political with plenty of power in my hands, and I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people dying slowly in forced labor camps. My joy is like spring, so warm. It makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and laughter at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and the door of my heart could be left open, the door of compassion. When we practice the art of sila, of integrity, of ethics, of not causing harm and bringing benefit to others, it is true sila practice is altruistic. True sila practice understands, again, that everything is connected. All people are connected. And so when we practice sila, we're practicing for the benefit of all beings, the whole world. <clears throat> I know this is redundant, <laughs> but this is one of those things. Again, it's one of the hardest things to do in this practice is to hear it, to be able to hear it, and then to be able to contemplate it, and then to be able to see it for ourselves as we engage in the world. <clears throat> So why is it important? Why is it so important in this emphasis of understanding the interconnectedness of as we start to practice the sila and this integrity? Why is it important to have that emphasis on um, the fact that we're all connected, that the self is not overemphasized in all of this connectedness as we're practicing sila. Why is this so beneficial in our practice or said to be so beneficial in our practice to consider this, this holistic package? 
when we focus on one thing, it tends to exclude other things. And how do we typically focus? We focus from an I, me, mine perspective. And that prevents us from holistically seeing all of this interconnected stuff. And it also starts to create a value system based off of our views. It's really, this is the, the primary freedom that we're trying to liberate ourselves from in this practice, is that limitation of the views that bind us to I, me, mine only. It prevents us from seeing holistically. There's nothing more important <laughs> How many times have we heard that for different things? Then why is attention? There's nothing more harmful than unwise attention. And what the mind pays attention to, it inclines. It inclines. Attention shapes our mind. So if the way that we're paying attention can be limiting in a prison, if it's repetitive, usually caught on some kind of views based off of wanting this want and, and confusion. But yes, that vehicle of being able to liberate our attention from the habit mind, from the views, from the wants, the not wants, is, is really beneficial to, to contemplate and, and work with. How, if we look at wisdom and we look at it, what we can see and work with, it requires attention intentional attention intentional intention so we become we combine this with that that saying we want these the sila this ethics to be part of our mind stream if it's part of our mind stream it actually helps helps us pay attention more holistically it inclines that attention in that direction and if it's not part of our mind stream if we don't have that integrity as this intentional force for our attention, it goes into habit and it's in our wants, our clingings, and that is lack of freedom. And so it's that balance of being able to, we know we're conditioned. So the freedom thing looks fuzzy from this, but it's, but if we can condition ourselves to be able to gain mastery over our attention and intention, that's a form of freedom and a liberation leading in the direction of that ultimate liberation. Yeah. The question is, what are you paying attention to in any given moment? If we really are, are feeling overwhelmed with the, all of the different things that are going on or, or what, we, what we're trying to do, one simple thing can come back to what are we paying attention to and is it beneficial or non-beneficial? And then the freedom comes by choosing to align ourselves with that greater integrity. It's so simple. It's so simple, the things that are healthy. We make them so complicated. I had a psychology teacher in high school, psych, you know, and before he would start each class, we'd all be sitting there and then he'd just stand there. He would wait for us to settle. And then he would say, life is simple. Who makes it difficult? And then we'd all have to say, we do. <laughs> we make it difficult. <laughs> it's so true. These principles, because our attention is just going all over the place. What is mindfulness? What had, it's being aware of what we're paying attention to in any given moment. So there are two factors that are said to be the guardians of the world. And, and I love that phrase. It's so potent. It's shame or fear of wrongdoing or let's say healthy aversion <laughs> to wrongdoing. So actions that aren't beneficial. It's characteristic. 
is is just that sense of uh, they say disgust <laughs> but that sense of that that kind of striking recognition of of when things aren't so healthy like a child falls and they slam their teeth down on the pavement that's a horrible feeling it's, it's horrible and it has a sense of disgust and, and fear and and just stirring of bodily verbal and mental misconduct it means misconduct is just harm you know harm its function of this sh- shame of wrongdoing is to inhibit unwholesome actions its manifestation is moving away from not like aversion but wanting to to move away from the actions not be part of the actions that cause that harm and this is the the proximal cause this makes it different from the other one is respect for oneself it's respect for oneself so if i were to to say something um that was that i just saw hurt someone's feelings and i saw it i saw the the pain in in their face and the affect and in their body that feeling should be inspired in me and because i have respect for my own integrity i want to fix it because i don't want to have those harmful qualities in my heart and mind and so i have respect for myself and and that that feeling comes up so it's this kind of self it's this conscience that comes up the other guardian of the world is very similar it's also that feeling of dread that comes up in in word speech and actions of unhealthy things its function is to stop those things inhibit them its manifestation is to want to move away from that have it not happen in a beneficial way it's the respect for others it's caring about that other person it's also caring about what who we would consider a wise and and compassionate person what would they think of me if they saw me hurting this person so it's this kind of combination of caring about that other person who the words hurt caring about the integrity of your your mind the other one and caring about what other wise and compassionate people would think so this could um this could be a, a wise and compassionate friend, someone part of the song, someone in, in your spiritual tradition could fall into this as as well. And so these are two guardians of the world because it's always having this conscience in our mind that is honoring that that component that is part of compassion, that feeling of uh, uh, around things that are unbeneficial, thinking of ourselves and thinking of others. Uh, remember when we used to really emphasize wise and compassionate and good role models in the, in the world and it seems that it seems that these guardians of the world whether it's in politics and and some of these other things those two guardians are are deficient more a little more deficient than they could be that you can't prove that i'm lying unless you have these certain facts or whatever you can prove it but even though we have the sense everyone knows it's it's okay there's not that shame and that conscience and that respect sometimes we confuse these two beautiful mental factors we don't make space in our heart and mind for that feeling of disgust shame fear or whatever that angst and we 
get reactive around it. But really, we want to be able to cultivate that conscience, feel that conscience, be able to care about that conscience, not to have aversion around that conscience, to let it be this compass, this thing that helps us navigate, helps us discern and to feel when things are healthier and unhealthy. And I know on one hand, this is so simple and obvious, right? It's what we've been taught, hopefully from our caregivers as we're growing up and all of that stuff. But, but it's so important to, to hear it from a different level and to contemplate it and to bring it into the front of our mind. We're gonna talk next week about and i'll let us go just to foreshadow and, and let and show you that we'll move into some practicalities here learning how to see the these multiple levels of how our mind and heart is in the moment we have something called latent tendencies or dispositions and these latent tendencies are the seeds that are in each and every one of us and if the right environment comes up these seeds will grow so if the right circumstances come up, even if we've been practicing peace and patience and compassion, but if the right conditions come up, maybe that cause anger and, and all of that stuff, they come up. They were hidden in the unconscious patterns of, of our mind. Then there's the, the mindset that we have in any given moment, the way that we see the world. And then we have our actions, the way that we act in the world. And so, it's not so easy that we say, oh, there's anger, met it, conquered it, good luck. It takes repetition and it takes actually transforming what is here that we can see, the frame of mind that we have that is with it and the latent tendencies. And so true Dharma practice, our practice that we're trying to do is to see all three layers and to be able to work and transform and purify all three layers of that. But first we need to be able to see it, <laughs> to see and to care and, and to put these intentions in front. Then after that, we'll look at some of these, these suggested precepts, ways to work and, and put them in, in, into context of how these precepts aren't rules, but how they help purify these three levels of mind. <clears throat> All right. Thank you. Thank you.